Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. And as usual, I have managed to get our senior writer, Jonathan Strickland, to nearly laugh, but not quite. Ever since I was a young boy, <laughs> I played the silver ball. Yes, but it's harder to do that these days. It is, it's a lot harder to find them. It's a whole lot harder to find them. So those of you guys and gals who are around the age of your uh, lo- beloved hosts may already have picked up on what we're about to talk about. You youngsters out there may or may not know, we're going to talk about pinball machines. Yes. Something that I am actually very enthusiastic about. I love pinball. Yes, I but agree. I huge, grew up playing pinball. It's it's a great game. Um, and it was uh, sort of the precursor to the arcade machine, the video game. Um, you know, pinball were pinball was what video games were before there were video games, and then they were, uh, you know, they they kind of existed side by side video games for a while. But as arcades died out, so did pinball machines. 
partly because, in fact, I would say in large part because they have lots and lots of parts and, uh, and you got to do a lot of maintenance to keep them running in good condition. Plus, I, I have uh, I have the real reason why pinball machines are so hard to find now. But um, hardly anyone's making them. Besides well, yeah, Stern? there is, but there well, there's no one making them besides Stern. Yeah, at least not in the United States. But, yeah. Um, but no, there. Well, I was going to get into that when we, after we talked a little bit about you know. So we, you normally do the history of sure the the pinball machine. I, I was going to do that. Okay. Okay. Um, actually. You could argue that pinball machines in their earliest form weren't really techy at all because they were mechan- yeah. simply mechanical. Right. And and in fact, if you want to go before pinball machines proper, it all first of all, it all depends on how you define a pinball machine, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the earliest pinball machines were basically a, a piece of wood with some pins. Uh, they were a lot more vertical than they are now. Yeah. And, a, and, uh, and you would drop a ball down from the top and they would – Plunk down along the pins and then eventually land somewhere at the bottom. Yes, uh, actually, if you've if you've ever seen the uh, the, J- the Japanese phenomenon pachinko, uh, pachinko is very similar uh, to what the earlier pinball machines were here in the United States because they were serious. They're seriously gravity driven. They're a lot more upright. You hang them on the wall, basically. Yeah. So, for instance, um, a precursor to the pinball machine was the bagatelle. Yes, the bagatelle was a. Um, uh, a a device where it looked a lot like a, a pinball machine. Usually it was a, a cabinet that was higher on one end than the other. Mm-hmm. Thus you have introduced the element of gravity into the game. Yes. And you would um, use probably a plunger or perhaps a, a lever of some sort to maneuver a ball so that it rolls from the top to the bottom. And it goes down a series of various uh, pegs like we had mentioned before until it lands in a slotted spot at the bottom, which would have a score associated with it. And mm-hmm. that's how, how you would accumulate points. There's yeah. not really any skill involved. It's all no, luck. Pretty much. <clears throat> so this device gave way to other uh, similar devices. Uh, now, we have an article on our site about how pinball machines work in which we state that the first pinball game was Humpty Dumpty by uh, Gottlieb in 1947. Now, that's something that some people would argue is not entirely true. I would argue that that is not entirely true. Now, I think I know the reason why we stated so in our article. It's mm-hmm. because Humpty Dumpty was the first machine that introduced flippers so oh. you have uh, – They call a, them flippers. Flippers. Yes, yes. Faster than lightning. Uh, oh, wow. Now now we've lost even some of the people our age. Um, <laughs> There's so, a dolphin in my pinball machine. Right, exactly. I'm uh, sorry. Is this sorry. pinball machine dolphin safe? So, uh, yeah, it was the first the, – the Humpty Dumpty was the first game to introduce flippers, which allowed yeah. the player a chance to alter the course of the game. Yeah, kind so you actually – really. Well, that gives you an opportunity to interact with the game rather than just watching the ball move from the top of the the playing surface to the bottom. Right. Before that, people usually played uh, would try and manipulate the game by nudging the machine and trying to get the the ball yeah. to go one way other th- rather than another, which still, of course, happens with pinball machines. But we'll get yes. into that. Mm-hmm. So that is probably why they call Humpty Dumpty the first pinball machine in the article, because again. Flippers, first time you got those. Uh, but you do have machines before that that had pins yeah. that the ball would bounce off of. And uh, those technically could also be called pinball machines. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think of Humpty Dumpty as the first one because I think of when I think pinball machine, the flippers are definitely a part of that. I, I think of the others as variations, either um, whether they, variations of bagatelle. Yeah, variations of bagatelle or variations of the pinball machine, but not actually a pinball machine. Yes. So, um, but yeah, so so I go with Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty as the first one, even though I know there are some uh, pinball fanatics out there who would argue that that's not entirely accurate. I'm glad that there are still pinball fanatics out there, frankly, yeah. because because otherwise the the game would have died out already. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's still coughing and wheezing. It's not doing great. Yeah. Um. So let's uh describe the anatomy of a pinball machine just in in general terms. You've got the head or the back. Glass back box section. Yeah, that's yeah. the section that's vertical that you uh, you look at and usually has some pretty amazing art on it to attract the eye so that you go to that machine versus any other. Mm-hmm. Then you have the body or cabinet section of the machine. This is where the playing field is, where the the ball comes out at the top and gravity pulls it toward the bottom, and then you use your various flippers and uh, elements in the playing field to keep the ball going as much as possible and to rack up points. Yes. Now, um, this is the, the reason you would want flippers anyway, and the reason a pinball machine is different from a bagatelle is that uh, at least in in the age of electricity, um, you know, the mid early early I would guess mid twentieth century, um, electromechanical pinball machines came into being, and yes. this is why because otherwise there's no point in, in trying to get the ball except. You know, well, this is headed for the 40 point slot. I'd rather it ended up in the 70 point slot. Right. So you want to keep the ball in play because the electromechanical games have a number of switches and buttons and bumpers and all kinds of other doodads that uh, help you continue to accumulate more and more points as the game goes on. Sure. Um, and they do this. These games were primarily before 1978 or so, uh, based on what I was able to find out in the Internet Pinball Database. I didn't know there was an Internet Pinball oh, Database. I knew. I used to use that all the time. It is a great resource, and it I got is. a lot of valuable information about it, ipdb.com. Um, but uh, and as a matter of fact, I got a lot of uh, descriptions for things I didn't know what they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but on the playing field, I would say the probably the, the biggest thing – in all these games dating back quite some time now would be uh, the bumpers. Yeah, you've got the bumpers and you've got a couple of – sometimes you would have some uh, some holes that the ball could fall into that would uh, accumulate some points as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the bumpers and then uh, toward the base of it, you would have the drain. That's mm-hmm. where the ball – when the ball goes through the drain, that means that that play is usually over at that point. Yes. So, so your goal is to try and keep the ball out of the drain and in the playing field. Um, so you've got the bumpers at, usually toward the top. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the flippers at the bottom. You might have some slingshots on either side. Those are the kind of triangular uh, uh, elements that you see toward the near where the flippers are that have the 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 really powerful bumper that will knock the ball right back towards the, the top. Mm-hmm. So those are usually called slingshots even though they're not really slinging. They're, they're punching <laughs> the ball as hard as they can. Um, these elements all have something co- in common. They are controlled by or they're powered by something called a solenoid, mm-hmm. which is not a Decepticon. I'm so You're- disappointed. I see these things. And I'm like, wow, there's a transformer in there. And sometimes there is, but it's not the kind of transformer I'm thinking of. No, nope, nope. it's not even a GoBot. So a solenoid is a coil. Um, and it's used in all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 
basically what happens is when there's electricity running through the solenoid, um, it causes uh, a magnetic field, generates right. a magnetic field, which moves a piece of something, a piece of equipment. Yeah, often there are two coils. There might be one in the center and one on the outside. And, right. they, and what happens is you've got two magnetic fields that are – um, the, are the same, so they repel one another, mm-hmm. and that pushes something out of the solenoid. And in this case, like with the flipper, when you press uh, the buttons on the side of the pinball machine, it sends the electrical uh, circuit, or it completes the electrical circuit, which then causes the solenoid to activate, which makes the um, the flipper go up. Uh, what's interesting is that there are a couple different styles of flippers. There's some where if you hold the button down, the flipper will remain engaged and it'll it'll because yes. it'll st- the solenoid will still be poking out essentially when you release I, the button. I like that type. Those are my yeah. favorite flippers. And then there's the other kind where it has a timer on how long the button can be pressed down. It'll it's usually pretty much an instantaneous thing. Like if you were to hold the button down, it wouldn't matter. The the flipper would activate, but then immediately stop because it would just be like a, a quick on switch and then. Until you release the button and press it again, the flipper would remain in the down position. And uh, those are a lot harder to use for those of us who like to finesse the ball and, and juggle it in various ways. Yes. The, those were invented by someone evil. Yes. Yes. Someone evil who wanted to make sure that we spent more and more nickels, dimes, quarters, whatever. Yes. Um, now – Active bumpers, uh, there are two different kinds of bumpers. Yes. They're active and passive. Uh, the passive ones were used in the earlier machines where basically, uh, when the ball would strike the bumper, it would register that it had hit and would give you the according number of points. Now, active bumpers use the solenoid to bump uh, back. Bump back. Yeah, and it, it can shoot plunger. the ball across the, the playing field. Right, right. There's a plunger inside the bumper that, that activates. And there's a little metal ring, which, you know, that's when, when the metal ball comes in contact with the metal ring, mm-hmm. then, uh, that, that's what activates it to, um, to activate the solenoid and then the plunger moves the bumper and it, it propels the ball somewhere else on the playing field. Which is, you know, that's when you can get like maybe that, there's often you'll see a configuration of three bumpers. Mm-hmm. Three is, three is pretty common. I mean, you'll see others like maybe two or maybe as many as five or six. Yeah. Uh, but if you luck out, you can get the ball to bounce back and forth between the, the three or more bumpers and, uh, keep rack up points really quickly that way. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, the ball could go careening into a drop target, which is, uh, yeah. a, a little, uh, object, I guess, made of, uh, probably plastic or wood, um, that when the ball hits it, it drops into the table. Um, and gives you the according number of points. You can't hit it again because it's gone. Right. But, uh. Yeah, if you, you, usually if you hit all of the drop targets along a certain section, it'll reactivate and, uh. It'll give you a bonus of some sort. Yeah, usually. and then all the targets will, will spring back up and then you'll have them to hit again. But you, you have to knock them all down or sometimes if, after a ball drains, it'll reset the board. Mm-hmm. Um. Versus a standard target or stand up target, I'm sorry, which is you know, usually the, a lot of times they're, uh, they're round. Yeah. It'd be like a, a lollipop. They're, you know, on some kind of, uh, um, something mounted to the table itself, but they, they don't go anywhere. The, uh, yeah, just register hits. hits. Something, yeah. And it does this usually through, uh, depending on how old the machine is. If it's an older machine, it's usually a leaf switch. Yeah. Yeah. And a leaf switch is, uh, well, it, here's an easy example. Think of two strips of copper. Mm-hmm. All right. That are close to one another. They're, they're parallel. And uh, on one end, you have the two strips embedded in an insulating material. Yes. All right. And, so it's sort uh, of like a V. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, on the other end, you've got the the two freestanding strips of copper. When they come into contact with one another, 
uh, it creates a circuit and that's it activates like a switch. That's the the whole uh, concept of the leaf switches. Whenever the two pieces of copper come into contact, that means that uh, it has registered mm-hmm. something. It yeah. has registered the contact. So uh, a lot of the old um, electromechanical pinball machines use leaf switches to register contact along various parts of the board. And it may be everything from a uh, stand-up target, like you were mentioning, or it could be a switch that's on the actual playing field so that when the ball rolls over a certain point, it uh, it makes a contact and creates some sort of uh, reaction, whether that's more points or changing the mode of play or whatever. And uh, uh, that's really what the older machines rely on. Newer ones have things called micro-switches, yes. which are similar to the leaf switches, but they are self-contained. They have a, they're usually protected in a little case. Um, and they're, they're smaller and they're more sensitive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so don't upset them or they'll cry. That's not what I meant, but sure. Um, they're, they're less likely to, uh, malfunction to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, here's an example. I used to play, there was a game that I played while I was in college. It was an older pinball machine. <laughs> Don't don't assume when I start talking about this pinball machine that it was new when I was playing it in college. It was a, uh, a Star Trek pinball machine from the uh, 70s, and it was an electro-mechanical uh, pinball machine. And it had a sensor in the upper left corner of the playing field that would register uh, – when you would roll the ball over it, it would uh, start accumulating points toward an extra ball. Mm-hmm. Well, the one that we had in our uh, student center – which I guess was donated by either a, a student or a former student, um, the the sensor would stick. So if you could get the ball to roll over it once or twice, it would stick long enough for it to register as an extra ball. So anyone who knew how that machine would work would, the very first thing they would do is aim to get the ball up in that upper left-hand part of the playing field because as soon as you registered an extra ball, you could play the ball as recklessly as you like uh, because – once it drained, you got another ball to, to, to play. And then again, as soon as you got the extra ball, aim for the upper left. After a couple of hits, you would get another extra ball. And this, these games could last forever. I actually managed to turn that game. I got, I went over the top, as they say. Over the top. Yeah, I went over the top and reset the score back to zero. By the way, once I did that, it did not register it as a high score anymore. Yeah. That kind of, was kind of a bummer. Yep. Took me about an hour and a half, I think, total. And I had more than 16 free games racked up after I was done. <laughs> Good uh, times. Um, so yeah, there are, there are other new <laughs> technologies. No, I'm just, no, no, uh, that's good. There are other new technologies too that, uh, have been made possible with advanced electronics, such as the, uh, opto or opto electronic sensor. Yes. Um, which basically records what the ball is doing, uh, with light. Yeah. There's also um, proximity sensors that yes. use magnets. Yes. So, basically, uh, basically the same kind of, uh, doohickey that registers whether or not your car is sitting there at the light. Because it, uh, it basically identifies when a ball has passed over it without there needing to be a physical switch. Right. It changes the, the, uh, the electron flow through the, the circuit. Um, we should say, however, that when I said it uses magnets, I really should have said it uses magnetic fields. It doesn't yes. really use a magnet because a lot of, a lot of, uh, a common complaint among pinball users is that, oh, this thing must have magnets to make it drain so quickly. Yeah. Um, out of all the research I've done, 
all the magnets that are used in these these pinball machines are used in such a way that either the player has control of it or it is a specific mode that gets activated within a, a pinball uh, game, and they're all electromagnets. And uh, otherwise, there are no magnets in pinball. There aren't any magnets in pinball machines specifically designed to make the ball drain faster. No, no. Um, Despite what you might think as you're playing and cursing. Yeah. Well, uh, these these devices that we're talking about are uh, used more commonly in in what's known as solid state games, yes. which are the heavily uh, electronic type machines that you right. see. You know, you saw started seeing in the the late seventies, early eighties, and into the nineteen nineties, where it would usually be more than you know. They didn't have the the numbers, the mechanical numbers that would flip over anymore. Right, um, the digit they, counters moved more. Yeah, it's it's not even an, an LED. They're actually using plasma displays, um, some of which had electronic games baked into them. Yeah, actually. Um well, let, just to, to differentiate a little more, the electromechanical pinball machines, they used a lot of switches. They used uh, motors, scoring wheels, which would, yeah, would yeah. be like the digit counters, um, where each each number, each digit was on its own wheel that would turn as you um, accumulated points. And the number of wheels it had would essentially tell you how high your score could go before yeah. turning back over to zero. Um and stepping units, relays, that kind of thing. So lots of electric, electronic, um, uh, electromagnetic stuff. Not electromagnetic stuff, but stuff you would find in basic electronics. That's what were in the old pinball machines. Yes, I'm sorry, electromechanical stuff is what I'm yes. saying. Solid state would be more things like circuit boards and uh, and micro switches, things that are um, that don't rely on so many moving parts necessarily. Mm-hmm. And as for displays, instead of the um, the the score wheels you might have the most common were dot matrix displays. Yeah. To use dots to indicate what the uh what was going on, you know, your score. You might have a special video mode, like you were saying, a little mini game pop up. Some had LED displays. Um the segmented plasma displays were a little different. They weren't like a plasma display like a, a HD TV. No. It was no. uh it would plasma would illuminate a small segment of the the scoreboard and that could form either letters or numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a neon sign is kind of what they look like. It wasn't that you would necessarily get a very high def um, uh, experience from it. Yeah, because people associate plasma these days with high definition. Now, no, not so much. Pinball had kind of a rocky road to go through. Do you, you know that some places uh, – uh, outlawed pinball machines. Yes, because they, uh, by giving away free games, they were gambling. Yeah, the idea here is that you would have to pay to play a pinball machine. Therefore, playing pinball has a value, mm-hmm. right? right? Let's say it's a quarter. So it's a quarter of play. That means that you have assigned the value of the experience of playing the pinball machine to 25 cents. If you were to win a replay that is a free game, that means that they've just given away a 25-cent experience. Therefore, you have uh, gambled. Yes. You gambled to win a another game. Uh, most of us would consider this crazy, and eventually almost everyone did consider this crazy, and they decided that it wasn't really that big a deal. But for a while, it was a big deal when when gambling was a uh, was being when there were crackdowns on gambling across the United States and in other parts of the world too. Although in Japan, uh, pachinko is such a big deal, and you can actually win uh, prizes, and in some cases, people uh, are who are professional pachinko players can actually make uh, decent money. 
playing pachinko. So not everybody is well, the same and, and some and some pinball machines actually did reward people with coins or mm-hmm. or credits or things like that. Something beyond just the free game. So there were games that did uh, have more of a gambling element to them than just the free play. Uh, let's talk about some of the other things that you might find in pinball machines, depending on what you're playing. There, there are lots of different variations because, I mean, of course, you've got your basic board, which is your, your elevate, uh, you know, your tilted playing field so that gravity pulls the ball downward. Right. You've usually got some bumpers. You might have the, um, the slingshots at the bottom and the flippers. You've got a plunger that allows you to propel the ball up to the top of the playing field so that you can start play. And then you got the drain at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but on top of this, there have been lots and lots of innovations for pinball machines to kind of differentiate them from everything else. Yeah. So you've got things like spinners, sections of the playing field that spin around and around depending on, you know, some some might spin the entire game. Some might spin if you activate a certain switch, uh, and that can alter the course of a pinball as it rolls across. You've got ramps. Yes. Those are very basic. You've got uh, the uh, ramps that will lead to possibly another section of the um, the playing field or even another separate playing field that is otherwise inaccessible from the the uh, the regular playing field. Right. Uh, you've got different lanes that the ball can go down. Often these lanes will have lights above them that are activated. And you, you, in some games you can manipulate where the lights are using the flippers. And if you light all the lanes, then you get some sort of bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got various kickers, which are holes that the ball can go down and then it'll kick it back out. I love those. Yeah. And there are a lot that where you might knock a ball in a hole on one part of the playing field and the ball will come out in a totally different part of the playing field. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of a uh, uh, one of my favorite devices in a pinball game, which is really very little to do with the experience, but it's just weird. The knocker. Ah, uh, yes. When you hit a replay, it's a solenoid that's inside the uh, the – the actual pinball machine. And the only thing it's supposed to do is hit against the side of the pinball machine to make a really loud knocking noise. And it indicates that you have won a replay. It was way louder than that. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah so, it was the same. They had one in, uh, I think, in the Qbert video game, too, if I'm not mistaken, when he'd fall off. Oh, I saw Suddenly, you, you'd hear this, you know, you'd feel in the, in the joystick that you used to manipulate the game, you would feel this, you know, Whack. Yeah. It's, like, it's, what is doing that? Well, often it can be very loud and very, um, very, uh, disconcerting. Disconcerting. Yeah. And you'd be in the middle of a, of a, and you'll hear it usually either if you've earned yeah. a replay by hitting a certain score or if you hit a match at the end. And matches where they, you see a random, uh, set of numbers. It's usually, um, uh, you know, a one through zero followed by a zero. Yeah. And if they match the last two digits on your score, you get a replay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may suspect that people fiddle with the odds because usually you would think one in ten chance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of machines that can allow you to fiddle with the odds and lower it to as low as 1% chance of it landing on what you actually scored. Well, I'll get back in to that in a minute. But yeah. uh, I also wanted to mention another feature that you can't see in games. Are you going to talk about tilting? Yes. You're okay. not ready for tilting? No, let's talk about tilting. Well, uh, in the early games, like Bagatelle, uh, you – you needed to tilt the the game table to actually get the ball to move. Well, that was you know in some of those games, yeah. but um, in pinball machines they didn't want you to do that because you know for one thing they didn't want you to get more play than you should be getting for your quarter. But for another, there are a lot of different parts in these pinball machines, and some of them are kind of delicate. And yeah, there, there's a very good yeah. reason that you really don't want to tilt it too much. 
So uh, they added what what's called a tilt bob, which is essentially a, a pendulum inside a metal ring. Yeah. So as soon as you tilt the game more than just a little bit, um, the pendulum is going to strike the ring, which is going to cause the machine to tilt. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the game Operation. If the tweezers in the game Operation the touches the side, then the guy's nose lights up, and yeah. then uh, you've killed a patient. So every time you tilt a pinball machine, some patient dies. I might have mixed that up a little. Yeah, okay. Um, but, uh, well, that's one kind of mechanism. There's also a, a ball roll tilt. Yes, this is a ball that's in a little channel underneath the playing field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at the top of the channel, it's, it's aligned in the same way as the playing field. So it's, it's on an incline. Yeah. And at the upper end is a sensor. And if the ball should come in contact with a sensor, that, uh, triggers a tilt. Yeah. And that's, uh, moving that is generally going to cause what's, uh, What's known as a uh, a slam tilt. These are very bad. Yeah. They for one thing they can be they can damage a machine, and for another it's just considered bad form. Yeah. A slam tilt is basically they're they're telling you that uh, um, you really messed up because not only I mean in, in a regular tilt you would lose your points and the flippers don't move. Right. So you, it's like, dude, no, you lost it. Yeah, yeah, it'll, in, it'll, it'll kill everything on the playing field. The ball will drain. Uh, you won't get any bonus and you won't continue to score for that round. Yeah. But, uh, in a slam tilt, it actually resets the machine. This yeah. is, you know, generally a solid state era, yeah, yeah. uh, device. And there are other sensors that can also trigger a slam tilt. Usually they are located mostly in the coin slot area. Like yeah. anywhere where the coins are collected, that's usually where you're going to find a sensor for a slam tilt. Yeah. You don't want to mess with the, uh, but I mean, if you really enjoy pinball, you don't want to, you don't want to break the machine. So there's, there's that too. You don't, you really don't want to tilt it for that reason. Yeah. Um, so should I get into, uh, the demise of pinball real quick? Yeah. Let's or talk about, let's talk that? about, yeah, let's talk about the way pinball's kind of, uh, kind of fallen apart recently. And then let's do a little bit of talk about some of our favorite pinball machines before oh, we yeah, wrap yeah. up. Um, okay. Well, uh, a few months ago, I did a, a blog post because I happened to hear um, Jeff Eli, uh, an economics professor at Northwestern University, on the radio. And uh, he had written he's, – he's an economist, but he wrote a, 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 a post on pinball because he is also a pinball aficionado. Um, and he met somebody who had designed two of his favorite games, Black Knight and High Speed. Um, and those were some of the earliest uh, serious uh, digital high-end – Pinball machines, some of the, that, that really got going. Um, and it was, it goes back to what you were talking about, Jonathan, because over the course of pinball history, I mean, you think about it, we were, we're going from a gravity only game to something that has flippers that you can, uh, put back and put the ball back into play. It's got electronic switches that enable you to rack up lots and lots of points. They're trying to add new gimmicks to keep you playing, keep you spending money on pinball. Um, well, so they start adding these ramps and, you know, the habit trails <laughs> the ball goes through. Right. And the, the little, uh, you know, get it in the monster's mouth and he'll spit the ball back out kind of stuff. Funhouse. Yeah, there you go. Um, all kinds of stuff like that to get you to keep playing and enhance the experience. Well, some people got so good at the game that they could win free replays often. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the pinball manufacturers start enabling the, uh, amusement facilities owners to adjust the odds of getting a replay by doing the number match thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the more people, I mean, it stopped people from uh, exploiting the game by being really, really good at it. But it also kept new people from entering, and because it was so difficult for them to score a replay, that they couldn't, they weren't interested in playing anymore. You also started seeing circuit boards eventually that could adjust the 
the score that was needed to get a replay. Yep. It would just incrementally increase. So if people were getting lots of replays, it would keep upping that score to make it more and more challenging to get a replay. Yeah, because they um, figured you were going to keep pumping coins into it anyway. And of course, they're going to keep playing. So why should we give it uh, you a free game? There's also the whole three ball versus five ball uh-huh. thing where you could set it to either be a three ball game or a five ball game. And of course, if you found a five ball game, you say, all right, I'm going to be here. This is what I'm going to play. But yeah, yeah, it did set the bar pretty high. And it didn't help that there were other pinball machines that started coming out that really catered to the hardcore pinball enthusiast. I mean, it meant that the pinball enthusiasts were, they loved it, Mm -hmm. but it acted as a barrier for anyone who enjoy, wanted to, wanted to play pinball, but didn't understand all the different modes and all the different tricks you needed to do in order to score well. So it just became a confusing experience for anyone who wanted to get into pinball. So that also really hurt the, the game overall. Add to that the rise of, of, uh, video games, especially really good video games and, uh, um, the, the, temporary demise of the video game market, a lot of the people that were making video games were also making pinball machines. So when the coin-operated arcade sort of went out of style there for a while, some of the people who were making pinball machines failed. Some of them merged and then failed. Right. And now, a, a few years ago, there were only two companies. Now, Stern Pinball is the, is only, the company only one that's still making, making pinball, machines. pinball machines here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know of any, I don't know of anybody else Gosh, I miss worldwide. Those old, but those old Bally and Williams games. They were fantastic. Uh, they were so, so much fun. Let's talk a little bit about some of our favorites. Okay. Um, uh, one of my favorites is also one of the games that actually, I think, uh, contributed to the downfall of pinball. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, even the, the creator of the game would tell you that. And it's, uh, Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. Twilight Zone was an amazing pinball machine, but it also was one of those that was really geared for the hardcore pinball enthusiasts. So people mm-hmm. like me, we love Twilight Zone, but anyone who just stood came up to play it would get really frustrated pretty quickly and then never play pinball again. And uh the designer for Twilight Zone was Pat Lawler. Mm-hmm. Pat Lawler is uh kind of a a legend in the pinball field even though really he came in on the scene pretty late. Uh, he wasn't like one of the people who shaped what pinball is, but he designed some of the greatest pinball machines from the you know late eighties and uh, into the nineties and and up to today. Yeah. Um. And Twilight Zone was one of them, and he actually said that yeah, they thought uh, they didn't have any real limits on what they could do because before he built Twilight Zone, he built the Adams Family pinball oh, machine, yes, yes. which mm-hmm. is my all time favorite machine. Ever one of the best pinball machines ever, I in my opinion, and uh, it was so successful that they essentially had uh, a, a you know the, a, an open sky to design Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and he said that was the problem it was because they were allowed to do anything. They put everything in it and then made it so complicated that only the hardcore enthusiast wanted to play it. Yeah, uh, but um, also he designed Funhouse, which had oh, yes. Rudy the talking ventriloquist dummy head that would insult you as he played the game. And you could <laughs> knock the ball into his mouth and activate multi-ball that way. And it was pretty cool. Uh, my other favorites were Theater of Magic, Medieval Madness, Monster Bash, Junkyard. I loved Tommy, the Who's Tommy. Yeah, uh, that yeah. had a mode where as you're playing, a shield would come up and block your view of the flippers. So you had to play blind. Oh, nice. Um, I actually would use the – there was a way you could start off that way and just play the whole game blind, and mm-hmm. that's how I would play. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm hardcore. And there's one other game I want to mention, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, not because it was awesome, but because it gave you the chance to choose which music you wanted to play. You could either play the the uh, soundtrack from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or you could play Edgar Winter's Frankenstein. Oh, nice. I think you know which one I chose. Yeah, I'm sure. Dun, 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 dun. That's all I can hum of that before we have to pay. Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, Internet Pinball Database actually lists most of your favorites in the top ten of all player-rated games. Yeah, they are awesome games. Uh, Twilight Zone being number one and For, Adam's Family those being would be, two. Those would be the solid-state games, I would guess, not yes, the electromechanical yes. ones. No, they have a separate list for electromechanical yeah. ones. Um, mine, actually, High Speed. I really loved High Speed, um, which uh, – Kind of makes me sad now because that was one of the ones that I really, really enjoyed playing. And then now I know it was sort of, um, the beginning, beginning of the end. Of the end. Um, but I also loved Space Shuttle. That was one of the games that I played all the time, uh, when I was growing up. It just, just happened to be a lot of those machines, uh, floating around out there, um, almost as if in zero G. But, uh, now I feel like going roller skating in, uh, Cherry Knee High simply because, <laughs> you know, this whole pinball thing is bringing that up. And, you know, there are a lot of places on the web where you can read about the care and maintenance of pinball machines. And there are auctions out there where you can purchase pinball machines. Oh, yeah, you can you can still buy them. Yeah, you can you can find them on sale. I would be very careful about buying them just to make sure, you know, you've got a reputable uh, seller before you you engage in something like that. And, uh, yeah, definitely look into the whole uh, um, maintenance issue, too, because these machines do require a lot of uh, upkeep to keep them – Running smoothly. Yeah. There's just a lot of moving parts there, and uh, and things do need to be replaced and and uh, and repaired over time. So yeah. it's it's a really cool thing uh, if you want to pick up a hobby, especially if you're interested in electronics. Uh, but uh, they're expensive and they do require a lot of work. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Um. Just uh, we need to close up here, but uh, I wanted to uh, tell you that if you haven't seen an, the episode of How It's Made on Science Channel, that tells you how uh, pinball machines are made. Uh, there is a clip from that on HowStuffWorks.com, and I totally recommend that you see it because it's it's really interesting. You you uh you'll see when they pull the you know when they're putting the playing surface together that uh, I mean the whole underneath of it is just like spaghetti with yeah. all the wires and, and gadgets and stuff that it takes to do it. Um, but it's fascinating stuff to see how they actually have to wire everything together. And also, if you are interested in buying a machine and really thinking about the maintenance involved scare the crud out of you right <laughs> i have to deal with that yeah it's a, a lot it's of stuff. a mess it's a, it's a lot so. so check out our article you can find that at howstuffworks.com check out our blogs you can find a link to that on howstuffworks.com remember that chris and i do a live show every tuesday at 1 p.m eastern so uh that's also you can find uh, links to that on hey what's that website howstuffworks.com thank you chris and uh, if you want to ask us any questions or send us suggestions, anything like that, write us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. 
You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.